Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm -hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I believe our third one of the week after the Adrian Peterson announcement on Friday. This one probably will not be quite as festive. We are at U.S. Bank Stadium after the Vikings 34-6. I guess we would probably call it a shellacking at the hands of the Indianapolis Colts. The Vikings now are on the brink of missing the playoffs after starting 5-0. They still are technically capable of making it as of the time we were recording this, but by the time you're listening to it, depending on what happens tonight, that might not be the case. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, flanked on my left by the Sports Grinch, Judd Zolgad of 1500 ESPN, and Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN as well. He brings the the takes and makes sure they're nice and hot, which is good on a, a cold day like this. And uh, Judd, of course, is, is here to get us in the holiday spirit with his great Grinchy attitude towards sports and After life. After a fine week for Minnesota football, that's all I know. Yes, so we will uh, just kind of talk about the game and, and what it means for the Vikings going forward. Uh, sports Crunch, we missed you on Friday. Yeah, I miss being there. We uh, we would like to hear your thoughts on really anything you'd care to opine on. Just enlighten us. Take it away. Okay, 30, what do you think? 34-6 defeat today is one of the worst efforts I've seen from the Vikings uh, in my time covering them. And here's the concerning thing. They had something to play for today. They have a head coach who was willing to go blind uh, to continue to coach them, and they didn't show up. They didn't show up. This was – I compared it to the last game of the 2006 regular season at the Metrodome against the Rams where they were about to finish 6-10, and 10, so they had nothing to play for. Uh, Marcus Robinson had been jettisoned by Brad Childress on Christmas Eve. The players hated Childress by that point, and they decided not to play – basically not to show up and play. But there was nothing to play for. This is one of the Vikings' worst performances, and I mean from a perspective of giving a damn about the football game, since 41 nothing against the Giants. This was a complete – and especially by the defense. This was a complete no-show. There was no effort, no heart. It was gutless. And you've got a guy on the sideline who basically is going blind and had to watch that garbage. That is malpractice on the player's part. And the thing to me is just when you have everything on the line and you have 
a unit that has pretty much carried this team, it, it's where does that come from? I mean, that that's the the baffling thing about today. And, and Matthew, I, I think it was. I mean, we saw kind of a little bit of everything. We saw penalties. We saw missed tackles. We saw uh, missed assignments. We saw guys that just weren't able to keep up in coverage, at least in a couple of cases. Across the board, it was uh, quite the uh, jarring effort from a defense that has carried this team for the better part of the year. If I thought that this was just Andrew Luck being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, then I would say, guys, all right, look, this was just a great quarterback being a great quarterback. You're a but big Andrew Luck guy, by the way. I am huge on Andrew Luck, and we saw a lot of the reasons yeah, today. Yeah, it was I mean, very good. I mean, I don't think he really has a great team either. Yeah, I mean, other right. than T.Y. Hilton, his receiving core is pretty mediocre. I mean, he's got a couple of okay tight ends, but his offensive line was starting a couple of rookies today, and they weren't that impressive, but I expected – the Vikings to romp over that offensive line and give Luck plenty of problems. But it wasn't just that Luck was amazing today, which I thought he was. It was also the Linville Joseph penalty is one of the most mind-boggling penalties that I think I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if he's trying out for a second career as a hurdler or whatever other joke I want to steal from Twitter. But what in the world? Generally, I got ideas. Still, jokes from Twitter. What, you know, what, what in You're the not world? as funny as you think you are. Twitter twice as funny as uh, I think I am. So anyway, oh, Twitter I, thinks it's very funny. It, it's not really, anyway. But whatever. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I, uh, Everson Griffin jumps offside in a key situation. Several of the penalties. I mean, it was more than just, well, Andrew Luck got him. They didn't pressure him at all, which was really stunning considering the offensive line that the Colts were running out there. And that's where you get to the point where you can say, what was the deal with the effort today? So to me, the the poster child play of the day is the turban six-yard touchdown run, gentlemen, on which which he should be stopped basically after about a yard's gain. But instead, Everson Griffin misses a tackle. Brian Robinson misses a tackle. Griffin recovers and is nice enough to get back in the play only to miss the tackle. And Andro Sandejo misses a tackle. And I will say this. That is some of the most feeble, worst tackling attempts I've seen. And this... This was a long run, but there, there was a run in 84 when the boys couldn't stand Les Steckel. Oh, boy. Steve Young against the Vikings. You just put him in a sense with Les Steckel. Yes, because Steve Young against the Vikings went for about a 50-yard touchdown run, and the same thing. I mean, this is ineptitude. These is that guys. 84? I think so, yeah. The famous I think it was Steve Steckel. Young run? I think it was Steckel. But my point Young be, wasn't there in 84. But my point. That's later than that. Oh, no, no, that no. That would have been Burnsy. Or, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, but the point was, this was that bad. This was that to me is the play because there is no excuse. That's not oh somebody's hurt and they're out. I mean, Anderson Dejo, right, is capable of making a bleeping tackle. We are we are talking about guys basically not having enough interest to bring down a backup running back. And then on the flip side of that, Frank Gore runs for a hundred bleeping yards. So I just I, nice I don't understand where that comes from. I mean, do you guys have any theories on that? I, I don't know, I know that Judd if that's does. what it is. I'd like to go down this path. I don't know. I would I, love you to go down this path because I don't get it. I th- okay. The Vikings today played like a team that wanted its coach fired. We know for a fact that's not the case. Now now, do I think in retrospect, do I think that Zimmer going after them and calling them soft after loss number one against Philadelphia hurt him with the players? It probably did because as much as I liked that at the time, I think players are thinking we thought you were on our side and our coach, and yeah. now we lost one game and you're calling us soft. I think that alienated the players to a certain degree, but I think they still – I mean, this guy is coaching while essentially going blind. 
I don't think that they've turned on him. The only thing I can tie in, guys, is the fact that it is interesting that in the week Adrian Peterson comes back and once again calls every shot. Adrian Peterson has made it clear that he is above his teammates, that he is the most important player on this team, and that when he decides to play, he will play. He will then spread the, the, the uh, message how he chooses to spread it through Dash Radio and DJ Ski. And the only thing I can think of is players are fed up to the point now where they're saying, we thought that we were a team, and this guy's going to come back. Really? This guy's going to come back after averaging, what, 1.8 yards per carry and say what's what? There was something going on here today that is way beyond a bad day. A bad day is the loss here to the Lions. Yeah. That's a bad day. This is a we're not showing up to play. I just I have a tough time with that a little bit because we're talking about a defense that would have a lot of pride to it, right? I mean, why why would the defense have such a meltdown like that over what's going on with Adrian Peterson? If anything, maybe people on the offensive side would be frustrated. Sam Bradford would be frustrated. Receivers, other running backs would be frustrated. But, I mean, why would that mean that the defensive side, that they wouldn't want to get after Andrew Luck or they wouldn't want to put up another great performance uh, against another great quarterback? Maybe you could get to the distraction of it, that that was a big problem throughout the week. But having been in the locker room and, and you were there too all week, Ben, I thought that this was one of the most open and jovial locker rooms yeah. of the yeah. season maybe that it seemed like if you would just had me guess based on the locker room alone how guys were feeling going into this game how's it going to go on Sunday I would have said they're loose they're ready to go this doesn't look like a locker room that's angry at Adrian Peterson it looks like they're pumped to try and stay in the playoff race and then you get to game time and everything falls apart yeah I guess I would also like to give you an opportunity to prove motive on that because it, I mean I, I think it it could be a plausible theory, but to assume that 11 guys are going to react the same way to that on defense is it's a, a bit of a, a magic bullet, I suppose. So I, I, we will give you the floor for rebuttal here, Sports Crunch. No, I just think I honestly think that something was going on today that caused this. Yeah, I agree. So, it was very so weird. So if you I mean, there, there will be there will be people that wear uh, Vikings colored glasses who are going to say just a bad day. Just a bad game. I'm yeah. not buying that. Yeah. You don't go into a game that has where you are playing for your postseason lives mm-hmm. with supposedly a head coach who you hold near and dear and you know potentially love this guy yeah. and roll over. I, I'm just I'm looking for there is no way that I'm just going to accept that all of a sudden they had what was, in my opinion, easily their worst performance of the year. I mean, the Chicago game was bad, but this is way worse. This was yeah. way worse. And you knew the stakes, and you know you're going to Green Bay next Saturday, and this is what you give. The offense I can sort of buy because the offense has had problems for months, but that defense, come on. Well, this to me, I think, and I'm trying to think back through it, given what was at stake and given how they responded – I would say this is the worst loss of Mike Zimmer's time as a head coach. And that the only one that kind of really comes close to that, I guess, is, is against Seattle last year in December when they got blown out at home. And, and that was – their defense was banged up, and that was against a team that was probably better than them. This was against a team that was, I don't think, better than them. I think it was a team that played well today. But the Vikings did a lot of things to make it easier for the Colts to, to do what they wanted to do. And, uh, I, I mean, some of the ones in 2014, it's hard to put in the same category just because there wasn't anything on the line in a lot of those games. The one in Green, in Green, Bay, on, Green Bay on a Thursday night, 
comes to mind, but Christian Ponder started that game, and it kind of began and ended there. So, to me, this is probably, if you're looking for the worst loss under Mike Zimmer, I would say that today is probably it. The way that uh, I've been thinking about the defense is, um, and, and the poor performance is that they've been flying without a parachute all season. That there were at no time could they ever count on their offense to have their back, really, outside of one game against Houston. So if they had a stinker, they were just done. I mean, it, it, if you throw out Clayton Kershaw for thirty starts, there's going to be one or two where he gives up seven or eight runs, right? I mean, even the great players even Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan will have a bad shooting day and maybe they just had a bad day and the offense could do absolutely nothing to have their back if this is a really good offensive team maybe this turns into a mini shootout or something as opposed to and ending up being a giant blowout because the offense from the very start from the very first drive Mm -hmm. it's two Bad plays to Peterson, uh, nothing on third down, punt it back away. And you're just giving it to a superstar quarterback over and over and over again if you're not on their game, if you don't have the right scheme, if you're playing Anthony Harris, who's just not a good player. I mean, th- the drop-off from Harrison Smith to Anthony Harris yes. is massive. Yes, it Absolutely is. That massive. has become very clear. And it, it tells us how good and important Harrison Smith is, too. But if you had any support whatsoever on the offensive side, maybe you can control the ball a little bit. But you're going three and out, three and out, three and out, and just giving them the ball in shot after shot after shot against your struggling defense. Real quick, that three and out, three and out, three and out, were you in the – in the press box at the Metrodome, when would, when would this have been? It would have been sometime in 2013 yeah. where some guy <laughs> turns around. It was oh, to Bill one Musgrave. of the losses. The it, drunk guy, yeah. Thinking Musgrave was up in the booth. It just starts yelling, nice call, Musgrave. Three and out. Three and out. Yes. Three and out. And we're all saying, like, dude, he's down on the field. It was, it was great. The guy was drunk and, I, yes, and, he just and kept was doing on it. a roll. Matt, to your point, I would say that, that what we saw from the defense in Chicago goes along the lines of, of what you're talking about. Here's my, here's my point with today, though. Frank Gore was literally just ripping off yards at every turn. If, if you come out here and get carved up by luck, I'm willing to say, okay, you, you've got issues in the secondary. You've got uh, Waynes out, Smith out. But this was a situation where you were getting carved up by Frank Gore. Old and, running back run, running behind a bad offensive yes, line and, was and, still productive. And every time he got the – Interesting. And every – yeah. An offensive line, by the way, that on paper arguably is worse than the Vikings. It started Joe Hag. I know they did. From North Dakota State. But my point His is kid. my biggest him. problem with the defense – my biggest problem with the defense today was the fact that Frank Gore was getting four yards a pop. And it didn't look difficult. It looked easy. I mean, this was – this was as basically a Les Frazier game. Yeah. This was a Les yeah. Frazier. You look inept, and you and, and the worst part is you look like you have no idea how to stop it. That's yeah, what that's this pretty, game was like. Pretty damnable offense if you're, if you're using those terms. For me, it's that, remarkable. Yeah. From a Zimmer coach team to look that bad, I didn't think it was possible. Well, and the thing, too, that was interesting is they spent a lot of the day. They clearly wanted to keep the Vikings in their base personnel, which is interesting considering they have T.Y. Hilton playing in the slot a lot. I mean, they, they seemed to feel better with Hilton playing against base personnel than they did having the nickel personnel in the field. And we saw it on that long touchdown to Jack Doyle where Chad Greenway probably should have had help down the field, but uh, looked like he was a couple steps behind in coverage there. Have to go back and watch the film on that one if we want to understand exactly what that was. But uh, that that's the way it looked, at least on the first blush of it. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like they wanted to keep them in a situation where 
okay, we're going to run the ball and see if you can stop it. Yeah, and they des- they deserve a lot of credit for that. I mean, knowing exactly the weak points to go after with this Vikings defense that for most of the year, there weren't many weak points. When Harrison Smith is in the lineup, when they have their nickel package out there and Chad Greenway only has to fill in for a couple of snaps per game, then they're a lot stronger than when he's got to be out there quite a bit. And uh, that was just good work by Indianapolis. But to, to your point, though, about the offensive line, Indianapolis running this type of offensive line out there and being able to slow down this Vikings defense, that's where, to me, that's where it's unacceptable. Because, okay, Anthony Harris is going to get beat. It's just going to happen. He got beat against the Jaguars. Blake Bortles beat him for a touchdown. But if you're talking – and Greenway, at his speed currently, at his point in his career, is going to get beat occasionally when he's out there. But when Daniil Hunter, when Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph – Tom Johnson, those guys have been the backbone of the defense, and they're not getting any pressure on Andrew Luck against an offensive line that's beat up and playing rookies. That, that to me, that's where you're talking about explanations and right. possible distractions and other reasons that go beyond. That's the one that I just cannot explain. I've got nothing for you there. I have no way to explain yep. how this defensive line got worked in the run and pass game. I thought they protected Andrew Luck really well. I think the final count was two hits and no sacks. Yeah. For a guy who's been sacked 40 times yeah. this year. Yep. Exactly. And played behind bad offensive lines most of his career. I will, I will say this, too. Here's if I'm a Viking fan, here's one thing that troubles me a lot today. Uh, you're going to read a lot of quotes uh, from the locker room after this game. And, and Munderland, to his credit, as he always is, did say un- unacceptable, blah, blah, blah. But you know what you didn't have, or at least I didn't hear? I didn't hear one guy, who, a legitimate leader type, who says, this is BS. We embarrassed Mike Zimmer. We embarrassed our team. This is not acceptable. I mean, in, in 06, when they hated Childress, there were still guys in that locker room afterwards who said, we embarrassed ourselves, and, and this can't happen. And at least they said the right things that you had the feeling the next day that they would go to practice or go watch the film and get up and say something. What I heard today was the message of, well, we still got two games left, and we're going to go. I mean, Linval Joseph talked about going and watching the film of this game. What are you talking about? What, what good does that do? And... I didn't hear nearly enough players genuinely upset. Alex Boone says the right things, but he likes to. But I didn't see, I didn't hear one player who was who was genuinely said we were five and zero and we've had injuries. But to come out and give a BS performance in front of our home fans with a playoff playoffs at stake, that can't happen. I heard we got to go back and you know have pride for these last two games. You had no pride today. What makes me think that you're going to go to Lambeau Field a week from uh, Saturday or next week now and have pride? Or, yeah. I mean, you showed zero pride, and you're telling me that you're going to go watch the film. I mean, that's, that's, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear someone genuinely pissed off. And it was interesting to hear the, the number, I mean, the, the charge that there was not a good enough effort seemed to come more from Zimmer than it did from players. And Alex Boone did say, I asked him after the game about starting 5-0, and and then when he's talking about, well, we might have to go in and play spoiler for somebody, I said, I just asked him, does that seem odd to be talking in those terms after you start 5-0 and and the aspirations are as high as they were? And he said, yeah, it's, it's frustrating enough that it makes you want to go break something. But, I mean, you could say that. That's a strong statement. But I did not hear a lot of... Um, yeah, we didn't we didn't give a good enough effort. I, I did not hear that criticism as much from players 
as I did from the head coach. There might only be one time this entire year for all of these losses where there has been sort of a fight in the locker room after. And I, and I don't mean between players. I just mean a fight within them. And that's in Dallas when they were all upset or against Dallas here when they were all upset about the, the refs. The refs. Yeah, that was that's the only time I can remember it, though, because in Chicago, which was the second saddest performance yeah. of the year. Yeah. We went into that locker room and it was quiet and the quotes were very similar from today. It was just, well, I mean, we'll get back to work here. And at that time, you had lost your second game of the year. So it's like, all right, whatever. I don't know what to make of that. But then you get to this point. If there's any time to be embarrassed and angry and spew a little flames, it's after a game like this to just convince people that you're still really into it. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, two games left, and we've got to go back. What are you talking about, even? I mean, what you're saying sounds stupid and ridiculous. Tell me that you're pissed off. Tell, tell me that, if nothing else, set, try and, and set a tone for 2017, right? Because right now... Or what just I, put on a brave face for fans. Well, but right, right now what I see is a collection of people that are very willing to accept their fate, roll over, and be done. And I don't get that. You were 5-0. and oh. You went, you know... Mike Zimmer yes. used the the S word special. Yes, which exactly. You, coaches don't do, and I understand unless they think there's something seriously super I get, going on. And I get Bridgewater got hurt, and I get the offensive line is decimated and now sucks, and I get the fact that you had some key defensive players out, but nonetheless, you were five and zero at one point, and now when you look at this season, you look at a team, as Matthew just said, you look at a team that a lot of times. After they lose, they're just like, well, we got to go on to, to the next game. That's as a fan or as a coach, give me some fire. Give me something. Do you care? I mean, if you don't care, why should we care? Yeah. Why should, you know, you I mean, had a lot of Mike, people brave Zimmer, pretty bad temperatures to come watch this today. Mike yeah. Zimmer, Mike Zimmer seems like a guy to me who, if nothing else, wants passion from his players. Yep. And he seems to have the biggest collection of just rollover mutts at times as you can potentially get. Hey everyone, Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore here from the Touch 'em All podcast. Now, the Twins might not be very good in recent years, but our podcast is pretty damn good. Phil, that's a little bit of a stretch. Okay, our podcast is is pretty good. Well, okay, we have a podcast. You can find us talking Twins on iTunes, Podcast One, and fifteen hundred ESPN dot com every week. Yeah, and it's interesting because he'll talk so much about how I love the fight of this team and, and they never quit. And, and you heard that in Jacksonville last week when they were doing a lot of things to themselves to make it tough to win that game against a team that just fired its coach today. I mean, we heard a lot last week about how they had fight, and it was just it was odd today to not see much of that. Shifting gears here a little bit, Adrian Peterson back today says at the moment that he plans to play on Saturday against the Packers, though, We'll see if that changes at all should the Vikings be eliminated from playoff contention by the end of the night, which I think is possible if the Buccaneers beat the Cowboys and the Falcons continue to win against the 49ers, which it looks like they're going to. What did we think of him, and what did we think of the way they used him in uh, his return to the field? Uh, I was very unhappy with the start of the game. Um, You were. Not just because it didn't work out. I'm very surprised by that. Say more. Because they went to... They went right to him on the first play. 
the most predictable thing that you ever I'm could have done. I'm just a point done. guard here. I'm just setting you guys up. Yeah, I know. It's everyone in the building. What did they announce? Sixty-five thousand today. All the people who uh, work in the suites oh, and everywhere else. We have sixty-six, all the, eight twenty in this football. Palace. All, all the parking attendants. People stadium. Every single person in the media area. Everyone knew that they were going to line up and with with a couple of tight ends and hand the ball off to Adrian Peterson for a one-yard gain. Right. I mean, it was just when I saw them line up that way with the multiple tight ends, I thought. If they do a play action and go deep here or something like that, that will be the best thing they could try. Right at the start of the game, say, everyone's looking at Adrian Peterson. Let's do something else. And instead, they go to Peterson, one-yard gain. Next play, they go to Peterson, one-yard gain on a pass play where clearly the nickel corner read it right away and, and was right on top of him as soon as he caught the ball. Like The thing that we talked about on Friday was – if you're going to put Peterson back in, then you cannot make him the offense. You have to just slide him in in the same role as Matt Asiata or Jarek McKinnon for an offense that is turned passing and has had some level of success with that. And instead, it's the AP offense right away. And guess what? It's a three and out, which is what the AP offense was uh, for the first two games for a lot, of, a lot of the time. They did a play action a little later, got a big play, but it, was, it seemed too late at that point. It seemed right there. It was like, well, we're not going to establish anything with him off the start. And then the fumble. You guys want to talk about the fumble. I mean, that's, the game is over. You, you've, got, you've, got a, you've got a chance to be back in that game. And that fumble put, ends it. And how many times, I guess, throughout his career would you say that, that things like that have happened? And it's a big criticism of him. And when people say, yeah, but, when we're talking about Adrian Peterson at the end of his Vikings career, yeah, but he fumbled in key situations, will be in that conversation. You know, it's, it's funny because I spent a fair amount, well, I took a couple trips down to Houston this summer to, to, to do a couple stories with him, uh, one for Sports Center, and then kind of went back specifically a second time to see some of the things he was doing to work on the fumbling. And he, one of the things he said was that his high school quarterback actually was, you know, called him up and said, hey, I was watching some film of some of your fumbles, and I think I know what you're doing. He said you get loose with the ball when you start swinging your arm. You get into that sort of track mode where you're, you're sprinting with the ball and, and you, you get the ball away from your body because you're trying to use your arms for propulsion. It looked to me on that fumble like he was doing that today, and, and that he and he talked about not covering the pressure points well enough. And he spent some of the summer doing a drill that he had done, I think, after two thousand nine, when he had fumbling issues, obviously in the NFC title game. His trainer hooks him up to a forty four hundred and thirty pound resistance band. That, in other words, it's carrying that much tension, and then he's trying to run out on the band while this trainer is hitting him with boxing gloves. Mm-hmm. That drill they felt like really helped him shake his fumbling issues in from 2009 to 2010 when he only fumbled once but again today I think and you know maybe it's it's a case of you haven't carried the ball and you haven't been hit in a while and you haven't had a chance to kind of ingrain those better habits but that fumble looked a lot to me like for him this is this is I'm not trying to make excuses for him I'm trying to I mean it's a reality that he hasn't been hit or tackled in, in three months but the technique whatever happened Looked a lot like the same fumbles we've seen for a long time. The reality is he, other than about a year and a half span, he has consistently lost the football. And that's just Yeah, to, oh, 09, yes. Childress used to get him. It's probably about a three-year span where he did. used the old trick of carry a ball through Winter Park, you know, to high point it and learn how to. And, and you know what? This is, this is this guy. And the thing is, he's 31 now. And granted, he came back today, so he slowed down. 
But Adrian Peterson, I'd like to congratulate him on being the Vikings 2016 MSP, most selfish player. You've done a great job because everything revolved around you. Even in a year where you're going to play about four games, it revolved around you down to the point, down to the point where you had a head coach who in training camp didn't want to say if he was going to use you against the Chargers in a preseason game because that would be giving the Chargers a competitive advantage. And Adrian goes on radio on Friday to announce his return. This is what we didn't get on Friday this is, in the, no, in the Purple Podcast. Saying, congratulations. The Preach, MSP, Sports Grinch. I want to hear your take on this. Most selfish player on this roster, and you're going to play in about four games. And you know what? When he was 25, it was damn well worth it because Adrian Peterson was a very special player. But at the age of, thir- of 31, this has become nothing more than a pain in the ass for everybody involved. What do you think, and I, I don't know how relevant it is at this point, but we didn't get to hear this from you on Friday, and I want to. I don't know if people do or not. Color my nut. Like, As it relates to competitive advantage, yeah, you obviously had the uh, tete-a-tete with Mike Zimmer during the preseason about whether competitive advantage mattered in a preseason game. Right. Uh, what do you think? And Mike Zimmer said today he was not bothered by Adrian Peterson going on Dash Radio with, uh, in which he is a founding investor uh, and announcing he was going to play on Sunday. Do you believe that? Do I believe that Mike Zimmer that was bothered? not upset with No, I think he it? was bothered, and I think here here should he be? Um, I personally, as an outsider, wouldn't give a damn. But here's the thing that people I don't think grasp unless you're around a football team a lot. This is a goofy sport in which adults <laughs> yes, try to tell is. in which adults try to tell adults what the approach should be. And part of the reason for that is a we're all in this together. Yes. So when Mike Zimmer gets up in Philadelphia and says my team was soft, they hear that and say, I thought we were all in this together. When Mike Zimmer says what's what's said in this locker room, no matter how stupid, goofy and meaningless it might be, doesn't leave this locker room. They keep it internal because it means that they're all in this together. Mike Zimmer is from day one trying to sell his players on what a normal human being would consider a really goofy thing. Which is, we're all adults, but this is a child's game, and so we're going to have a childlike mentality of one for all, all for one, blah, blah, blah. So when Adrian Peterson goes on Dash Radio or Fumble or whatever the hell it's called, and. Fumble. What? Fumble Radio. Fumble Radio. Fumble Radio. Fumble radio. <laughs> That's not as catchy of a title. I don't, I don't when know. He, but Dash when he goes on, but when he goes on and decides that he is going to inform the public of his plans. That, once again, takes whatever Zimmer thinks is important and erodes it. So, as a normal person, I don't give a damn. I understand, though, that Mike Zimmer tries to sell these players on a message that he finds to be very important. And when Adrian, time after time, decides, I'm going to do what's best for me, that hurts his credibility because... Zimmer wants to hold the rest of the team accountable, right? Right. But then all of a sudden there's this one guy who says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to hold you accountable, Mike, and I'm going to do things my way. There is less tolerance for individualism in the NFL than any of the other major American pro sports. I think we can agree with that, with, I suppose, the possible exception of baseball with its uh, tired old rules and and unwritten rules and all of that sort of stuff. Um and there's always kind of this this trade-off in in the NFL where if you become the thing that NFL teams try to root out at all costs, if you become a distraction, dun dun dun. There's sort of that question of is your talent level higher than the 
potential drawbacks of being a distraction and our team's going to put up with that. I, I, I continue to think that with Chris Cluey, that was the issue. It, it didn't matter what his cause was, per se. It was the fact that he was drawing attention away from something. Of, he was drawing attention to something other than football, and it, that always puts a premium on your ability to keep a job because if you are causing people to ask questions about things other than football, Colin Kaepernick, Tim Tebow, take whatever you want as the case, if you are bringing in distraction, which NFL teams somewhat irrationally, I think, believe is this cancer to a football team, you have to be a lot better at your job to keep your job. And whether Adrian Peterson was a distraction, whether he's still at a point where he exceeds that risk of being a distraction and is worth keeping around is, is probably a question for another day with an opportunity to see a little bit more of how he looks coming back, assuming we do see him. But if there were an issue, I think that whole idea of distraction being this awful thing for a football team is probably the root of it. I would be more likely to believe uh, that it was summertime out here in Minnesota today than that Mike Zimmer wasn't bothered by that, right? Yeah, I I would tend to agree. From everything we've seen, he has that mentality kind of through and through. Not not just the distraction thing, but the real football mentality of even like play through the injury and my eyes about to fall out, but I'm just What did he say earlier this season? Back in my day, we didn't have concussions? (laughs) Yeah. Right, and so that kind of gives you a little bit of a window into how he feels about guys strapping it back up and getting out there and just being humble and doing your job and working hard and all those things. It had to drive him up the wall that the Colts knew that Peterson was going to go out there. Now, it didn't make a darn bit of difference because Chuck Pagano said on our conference call that that they were preparing for Adrian Peterson. So it didn't matter, just like it didn't matter that when they played Mike McCarthy in Green Bay in week two that McCarthy said, oh, yeah, we know that Sam Bradford's going to start this week. And yet Mike Zimmer still tight-lipped, would not reveal it because he thought any percentage in their mind that it might be Sean Hill as if preparing for Sean yeah. Hill would be terrifying. Didn't announce it until they went on the field. <laughs> exactly. They didn't even announce the start of before the game. So if you're going to tell me that he – or if he's going to tell us that he didn't get upset about that, I mean, please, give me a break. How much it actually matters, in my mind, is negligible, especially if your team is just good and, and all that. But uh, with Adrian Peterson, yeah, I, mean, I think you said it right, Judd, if he's averaging six yards a carry and is the most dominant, unstoppable running back in the league, which he has been at times in his career, there are a lot of things that you just say, eh, no big deal. But it's almost as if Adrian Peterson doesn't realize where he stands in the world currently. Where he stands is a running back who averaged four and a half yards a carry last year and after today is going to average three this year, which is no better than Jarek McKinnon and is no better than Matt Asiata really so far. He doesn't realize that at 31, everyone looks at you as, uh, you were the guy that used to be the superstar, not still the superstar. And there are players in that locker room who are, are better than Peterson right now, guys, who don't get special treatment. And I'm sure they're saying, what's going on here? I mean, we're talking about a 31-year-old going on 32 in March running back who very much right now looks like he is a has-been who's getting special treatment and who's basically it's not just special treatment making up the rules for himself and a bunch of guys are saying why did you find it interesting at all i know that uh when our colleague Derek wetmore and i were shooting a video in one of the other rooms we bumped into one of the employees here who works in the suites and we were just chatting about the game 
And she pointed out that Peterson was the last guy announced to get the big yep. crowd reaction yep. and all that. Mm -hmm. But which, if you're a fan, you're like, oh, Adrian Peterson, great. We'll wait till he's the last guy and we'll get up and cheer and, you know, whatever. But that would be a thing that it separates him from the rest of the team. Yeah. It makes sure that he's dead last. He's the star. Everybody remember that Adrian Peterson is the Minnesota Vikings still. And it just, it's a little bit of an odd move and considering he's expected to play 20 plays. And, and I kind of wonder who, who decides that. But it flies. Every bit of that, guys, flies in the face Makes sense of for business. the head coach. The head coach is all about what? Ordinarily. Team. And we all work in this together. I mean, what was the sign he pointed out when John Krasinski asked him this week about why he needed to coach that game? The, the sign about take ownership in something bigger than yourself. And so you got this one guy who's clearly declining who's special. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, and you wonder I, – I guess the thing I wonder about a little bit is that well, we've seen him for three games, right? And and nothing he has done in those games has suggested that he is the same guy. But we also know the offensive line issues, and I think we would have a better, we would have an easier time saying this is what he is at this point if this was game twelve or so that he played this season. When he's only played a couple, it, it is harder to say that with certainty. And I, the only reason I make that point is because. The Vikings are going to have to decide that, right? I mean, they're going to have to decide if it is worth going forward with him on the belief that he could still be back. Well, I kind of think you do because, number one, if you're talking about not setting him apart, that's that's part of it. And number two, from the perspective of trying to figure out, like, show us something here. I mean, show us that you can still be the guy that we have paid all this money to. Show us that you can be the guy that we keep in our plans for the future. From that perspective, I think I'd want to see him. I, I think it's it would be hard at this point when he hasn't had 100 yards since, uh, what, Atlanta last year? Is that the last time? It, it gets harder to say, oh, yeah, he's the same guy. We know he's been, and you know he shows up in great shape and all of this. But when it's in games – it is harder to see the proof, and, and again, we know what the offensive line is. We know what it is not. We know that there are severe limitations there, but if I'm them, I want to see it if for no other reason than to get a better idea of can we see some flash of the old Adrian that, that convinces us, yeah, it's worth giving him guaranteed money and keeping him around? Well, I don't think it is for the way this team is structured at the moment. I think uh, your centerpiece of your offense is Stephon Diggs now, and yeah. it's going to be through through the air, the passing game, at least for 2017. I think it's going to be about Sam Bradford. It's going to be about Stephon Diggs. I'm not, I guess I'm not saying what they should do. I'm saying what, what they based on do. what they've done in their history with Adrian – kind of how they seem to think about Adrian. I, I think there is still a mentality in their minds that he can still be the same guy. I mean, you hear comments like that. And if I'm them, thinking how they have thought in the past, I would say I want to see that for myself. Well, Maybe even, I'm kind of blending those two even things. Even before but. the game, how about several national reporters coming out with Adrian's not human. And yep. This is yep. this is what the, the things that the front office is I think saying. we all and, probably have a pretty good idea of who those people were talking to, but we won't uh, divulge that here. <laughs> well, that's probably true. But 
trying to I hype up spill the beans. Hype up the idea that uh, he is just as good as he ever was, and I, I don't think that's true. I do think, though, if you look at someone like DeMarco Murray and the success that he's having in Tennessee, that if Adrian Peterson goes somewhere else with a different offense and a great offensive line, he'll probably have a great year, and the Vikings will get criticized for letting him go and saying, oh, you gave up on Peterson too soon. But I think that if you're going to stick with Mike Zimmer and you're going to stick with Pat Shermer, which we'll see about that, yeah. then I – I don't know if he fits in, and I also think the baggage is a little too heavy. And also maybe the money where they need to spend it in this offseason does not match up with the running back position. I just don't think in general that it's very smart to spend that much money at the running back position anyway. Well, and I wonder if I'm him, is he going to want to be here? Because this offensive line, we've all looked at what's in the draft. We've all looked at what's in free agency. They are going to have to hit a lot of home runs to fix this offensive line before next year. And I, I wonder if you're him, if you say, well, maybe it's not such a bad idea to go test free agency, see if I can kind of reboot things with a bit of a fresh start. If there are still any lingering hard feelings from 2014, either on his part or on the behalf of people in his camp, um, this would provide an opportunity to do that, and it would be easy enough to do that by saying, no, we're not going to restructure here. You're going to have to let us go and, and test free agency. It would, it would be very, very easy for Adrian Peterson to apply his trade somewhere else next season if he decides or if people in his camp decide that that is the best way for him to go. I I wonder if that is where he'll end up going, simply looking at what the line is probably going to look like next year and seeing, well, may, yeah, maybe it's time to, to see if I can jumpstart this thing a little bit with one more fresh start. The, the decision, in my opinion, should uh, come quickly from those that run this team. And I know that the Wilfs love him, and 28 is going to go in the, in the rafters probably yep. one day here. As it should. And it should. All of that so being should 84, said. So 84, by the way. True. But all of that being said, Spielman and Zimmer need to have a come-to-Jesus conversation among them and say, it's time we reclaim our franchise. Because as long as Adrian Peterson's in that locker room, there's going to be a perception that he's their guy. I mean, the, they moved heaven and earth in 2014 mm -hmm. to get a guy back who somehow made himself a martyr when he was guilty of something that he should have taken accountability for. And ever since that day, Mike Zimmer's kryptonite in that sense is Peterson because here's a head coach who tries to sell himself as this really strong, it's us, it's a team, it's this, this, this. And they give him more guaranteed money. Exactly. Until we get to an aging running back who all of a sudden I'm willing to go to Houston to meet with, this decision, I think, needs to be made right after the season comes to an end, at which point they say, we are going to move on. We're not going to restructure. We're going to make no attempt. I put out a very nice press release, too, that says Adrian Peterson's been fantastic, and we really appreciate all his contributions since he uh, arrived here as the seventh overall pick in 2007. But that being said, he will no longer be a Viking in 2017. And I think internally the feeling has to be we need to regain our cre credibility with all the players, and the only way to do that is to have 28 removed from the equation. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where they go because there have been a few little rumblings from from national types, a few little leaks of, well, they might restructure. They might want to try to get, bring him back. And, and again, I, I think it's you don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to figure out where those things are probably coming from. It, yeah, I mean, you wonder if they're still going to say, well, oh, he can still be the same guy. I mean, he's still Adrian. He's still in great shape. And if we fix the line in front of him, then we're fine. And I think there there's a, a line of thinking there sometimes where you say, well, if everything goes great, 
and we expect that it will, then this is going to be a great idea. I mean, sometimes you have to say, we have to plan for things not going great. And as much as it's difficult to do that, there is an element of you have to consider risk threshold to to borrow a line of thinking from my dusty old uh, accounting degree and auditing background from the Carlson School of, Carlson School of Management. But you have to figure out what your level of risk tolerance is as well. And now I've made this very boring and uh, <laughs> actuarial, and I will stop talking about accounting because people are probably falling asleep. Uh, but the next two games, Adrian says he's going to play Wake up, people. Green Bay. Right. So now if he plays the next two games and he's good, which is possible. Yeah. And Green Bay doesn't. Green Bay gave up 27 points to Matt Barkley today. Yeah. Jordan which, Howard had a good day. Yeah. Right. So it's very possible that he has a good day against those two teams and I think if he plays those two games, he has two good, two excellent games that he is on his way back. I kind of agree with you. But if, they, they want to see one thing to hook him, I think. If we get to the middle of this week and Peterson stands in front of that Vikings logo in the locker room that he always stands in front of and goes, well, you know, guys, I just decide actually probably wouldn't even say that. He'd probably just not be there. If he's not in the locker room anymore and he's just nowhere to be found and he says, you know what, uh, you know, that knee's feeling a little creaky now. You know, I just probably should just hang it up for the year. If he if he decides to do that. Or he'll dash off a comment somewhere. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, maybe he'll be off skiing. Huh? Could be. Um, Could hurt your yeah. knee doing that. <laughs> uh, but uh, if that happens, then then I think the relationship's over. I don't yeah. think you can bring him back into this locker room and Mike Zimmer have any credibility whatsoever if you bring him back in next year and he bails on the team at the end. I think that destroys the head coach's credibility for what his message is. Yeah, that it is going to be very interesting, especially if they are eliminated to see how they handle this because I mean this was this was the reason we thought it didn't make a lot of sense to come back this week, right? I mean, we we kind of thought give it one more week, let them see if they get to 8 and 6, then you know without any doubt whether you're still back in it because this was a scenario where okay, he comes back, they're 7 and 7, if they're eliminated now, there's two games that it's going to be kind of hard to to get yourself up for it. Like you go play on a cold field in Green Bay next Saturday on a short week. I mean, it I mean, that was kind of the reason for thinking, don't go this week. And now the scenario that you were hoping happened didn't. And you could be in a spot where it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go out there from a competitive perspective. So it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes, especially if they are somehow out of it by uh, Saturday. Boys, a correction here. I found it. Steve Young's uh, 49-yard run against the Vikings, which uh, certainly featured some pathetic tackling efforts. 88. October of 88. So it was Burnsy. My point being the feeble tackling attempts in that case were on display uh, today, especially on that six-yard run when uh, when the Colts basically just did what they wanted. And that's incredible, too, when you think about this. The Colts came here basically in the same predicament as the Vikings. Mm-hmm. They were five point dogs. Yeah, they were. There was every reason to sit there last the week. Line and moved say, when Peterson said he was playing. Yeah, and there was every, but there was every reason, right, to sit there last week and say, you know what, this is this provides the Vikings with a great chance to make that Christmas Eve game in Green Bay a really good game. Yes, and the Colts looked like the Manning led Super Bowl champion Dungy Colts today. <laughs> so it was sad. Is there? I'm just trying to think. Is there anything else that we uh, that happened in this? I guess we kind of kind of covered it all, didn't we? Uh, other than 
I, loose I, threads here? Maybe. Yeah, Kai Forbath had a good day. The voice from the and, peanut uh, gallery, Derek Wedmore. Sam Bradford just wasn't good. I mean, yeah. I, I know I know that like Peterson is way more interesting. The defense's collapse today is way more interesting and way more at fault. But Sam Bradford, another good day for the old quarterback rating, but not so good for the old points on the scoreboard. Or Our, at least at least decent quarterback rating compared to what his game actually looked like. I thought it was a very, very, very upsetting performance for Bradford to see him do the, against this defense. I mean, this is one of the worst defenses in the NFL. He couldn't get the ball to Stephon Diggs. Who do they have in the secondary that's Darrell Rivas in his prime because he could not get the ball to Stephon Diggs today, who has become their superstar. What happened to him? I mean, that, that's what I want to know on a day like this where last week he comes up with a real good performance against a better defense in Jacksonville, in yeah. my opinion. Yep, I would a, agree. A defense with actually quite a bit of talent, but that team has no quarterback and hates their coach. But then, then today, here at home, where Bradford has mostly been pretty good, cannot do anything against the Colts defense. And with Bradford, uh, we talked about it a little bit on episode one of this week out of three about Bradford and where we stand with him. And you still three episodes this week. You lucky dogs. I know to be around you for three episodes is uh, an honor. Um, But, uh, (laughs) but, but you feel like you feel like here we are again, you needed a big drive in Washington. You didn't get it. You needed a big drive against Detroit. You didn't get it. You needed a big performance with the playoffs on the line here. You didn't get it. And there are just too many of those incidents for me with Sam Bradford uh, where it becomes you wonder about what the future is with him here. Yeah, I, I, we've we've talked about that, and I'm sure we'll have more time to talk about that. I, I don't know what you do there because you're kind of wedded to him in a lot of ways for next year, and I, I think they – Probably will be, given where Teddy Bridgewater's knee is going to be and, and how many questions are still out there about that. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was not a great day for him. Our, our stats and information people sent an email at the end of every game uh, kind of with, with some rundowns of, of things that happened and things that they saw. The headline they have for Bradford is, Bradford with another good hyphen bad game, which is kind of hitting your point. Uh, 76% of his passes he completed uh, – they say, why was Bradford so efficient and ineffective? 25 of 28 on passes thrown within five yards of the line of scrimmage. 7 of 14 with a pick of on passes deeper than five yards. Threw short of the sticks on six of his eight third down attempts and had another thrown at the marker. That's the that's the thing right there. That's, yeah. that's like the stat. I, for every game, I bet if you went through that, it would just be mind-blowing. There, How many there times have been a few of those where I've looked. I, I think there was one maybe against the – the Redskins, where like five of his thirty-seven passes on any down went to the sticks, uh, and the other one they they threw out at us was uh, five sacks all in the second half, all against four or fewer pass rushers, which is uh, another reflection on how bad that offensive line is in some ways. But uh, yeah, not a great day for Sam Bradford, and uh, very interesting to me to see Andrew Luck make some of the same. And I know my love fest for Andrew Luck is uh, it's it's something, it's a but good quarterback, but but that Andrew Luck makes some of the same throws that Sam Bradford throw, uh, that, that he does. Like dropping it in the bucket, and I mean, the throw to the tight end over Greenway is just an amazing throw. Yeah, that but was a Brad- great throw. But Bradford has made these throws. Every throw that he made today that was great, Bradford has made them. But where it doesn't happen is Andrew Luck's escaping the rush and steps up into a hit to throw a perfect pass down the field to a wide-open T.Y. Hilton and things like that. The aggressiveness of Andrew Luck 
the willing, uh, the ability to move away from pass rushers and things like that. That's what Sam Bradford doesn't have that Andrew Luck does have. They both can make the throws, but Luck is fearless, and I'm not so sure that Sam Bradford is. I tend to think NFL quarterbacks are separated from good to really good or great based on what they're able to do when things aren't going right around them. Sam Bradford a lot of times strikes me as a guy that needs a lot of things to go right around him to be really effective, and he certainly hasn't had that this year. And uh, you know, Andrew Luck makes a lot of those throws today. Aaron Rodgers certainly makes a lot of those throws, and you see guys like Russell Wilson do that. You need some level of improvisation to be one of those great NFL quarterbacks, and, and you don't necessarily always see a lot of that from him. And there are, boys, a lot of questions now about th- this offense as a whole, right? Because now you've got now you've got some good Bradford in yeah. 2016, mm-hmm. but you've also got the guy who either went back to being who he was when he struggled and or his offensive line was, was such a mess he got to be skittish about it. You've got an offensive line now where he, even when guys come back, there's question marks. You've got a run game that you don't know a thing about. Yeah. I mean, there's that's the problem now. We go the from first what, round pick that's well, uh, yeah, and MIA. Exactly. So we go from going into training camp with what we thought to be a lot of certainties on this roster to an offense that you've got digs you like, mm-hmm. I think, right? Like digs. Uh Thielen looks to be productive, but Ben, to your point, first round pick, no idea. Yeah. A run game that could get completely blown up. An the steam on the first round pick offense, has not been good, by the way. And an, you haven't heard much behind the scenes. It's been and a line where him. you could bring back Berger at center. Yeah. Boone will come back at left guard, but your right guard could be open. Yeah. Your right tackle will be. Yeah. Your left tackle might be. Might I mean, be Matt Khalil. You are yes, exactly. So you are now talking about an offseason re- attempt restructuring of an, of units that you have no idea when, when training camp opens how much those can be trusted. And you've also got the guy who you thought was going to be your starting uh, QB in 2016 with a blown-up knee, and you have no idea if or when he plays again. So this has now gone from being what we thought going into this year was a lot of certainty yeah. to a lot of really key question marks as to what this is going to look like on opening day 2017, and it might not be that good. So real quick, and we should we should get out of here because we've uh, kept people quite a long time on uh, our third edition of the week. We have lots to talk about and, and lots to give. But uh, back if we go back post-Farve, so 2010 was a dumpster fire. And then they knew that they had to go get a quarterback. They draft Christian Ponder. Then, okay, it's rebuild the offense around him. 2012, obviously, they go out and Peterson carries them to the playoffs. But the message after that season, part of the reason they didn't re-sign Antoine Winfield was, well, we need to invest in the offense. We need to go re-sign Phil Lodeholt. We need to go, you know, get some – We need, they needed to get rid of Percy Harvin and figure out what they wanted to do there. So they signed Greg Jennings, Cordero Patterson. Then they think, okay, well, we've got some weapons. Ponder takes the next step. We'll be able to do it again in 2013. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Then it's we've got to go to get a quarterback. So they get they get Bridgewater. Then Peterson obviously has a suspension in 2014. After that season, it was, well, we need to go out and get Teddy some weapons. I, I think there was kind of that talk, and, and I guess they didn't do as much to – add to the offense after that season necessarily but the line was an issue then the line was an issue obviously in 15 my point in all of this rambling Vikings history lesson is that really since Favre 
there has been some bugaboo on offense that they have never been able to completely solve. It's either been, well, we need a quarterback or we need better receivers around him or we need an offensive line overhaul. And the the offensive line, really, we're in year three of that being a big, big issue. And it it seems like for the better part of the Peterson era, the ability to put a coherent offense on the field has eluded them. And you wonder how much of that is because they've put all of it on Peterson when teams are, are putting it on quarterbacks for the most part, how much of it is their ability to find the right pieces. Um, you know, but it's going to continue to be a question in a lot of ways. The questions are as big as ever. And as good as this defense is, they have a lot of work to do to have a functioning offense. And it their window to win with this group to me, in a lot of ways, depends on their ability to find the answers to those questions. They've gotten themselves in a tough spot because usually when you try to fix an offense with a bunch of free agents, it doesn't work. Right. I mean, there have been plenty of... they're t- after their own stats. Plenty of teams who have gone out and signed a bunch of free agents. Yeah. They could, oh, I'll, I'll grab these wide receivers. We'll get this running back. We'll do this, this, this. And it, it doesn't always work. And, this, and it didn't work with offensive linemen. Yeah, ask here. the Eagles about that. So, and, so now you say, okay, well, I guess they'll spend a lot of their draft on offense. Okay, they don't well have a then, first round pick. That, right, they don't have a first round pick, and then they're not. Th- then you're not drafting defense, and you've built up this good defense, but not everybody's going to be here forever, yeah. and not everybody's going to be healthy for most of the year. Like it becomes a very tough balancing act, and I, and I, I don't know about the offense if there's any quick solution. Yeah, it is going to be a fascinating uh, well, next few months. It's here. very simple, gentlemen. It's coming home to roosts, and this is partially on Spielman and bad luck. The draft picks ain't working out, the high draft picks. Yeah. Sharif Floyd not playing and now probably being done here is a major problem. Yeah. Matt Khalil was the fourth overall pick at left tackle. That's a 10-year guy. I mean, that's yeah. the night you take Khalil, you say the next time we worry about Matt Khalil is to sign him to a long-term contract. He's not working out. So yeah. if he comes back, it's still a question mark. You send, what, three or four draft picks to the Patriots to get Patterson? Yep. I mean, that the first round of that draft gave them three first-round picks. Sharif Floyd, who now is probably gone. Rhodes, who is very good. Yes. And Patterson, who is a gimmick player. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look... You don't, you don't trade three picks for gimmick player. No, but the point is... The point they is, needed more than that. Spielman's made some bad picks, and he's had some bad luck. But you can't have... If you start to look at their first-round picks, Bridgewater... I mean, Barr. he might not play again. Anthony Barr has yes. not had a good year. When you start to look at the at their first-round picks who, for various reasons, have flamed out, it's too many. I mean, yeah. Sharif Floyd today, if he had played this entire season, I guarantee you Frank Gore does not go for four runs or four yards a pop. Yeah, Sharif Floyd yeah. is an instrumental part of this defense, which is why I think Zimmer's so upset that he can't play. But – all of these losses start to accrue, and we're talking yeah. some pretty high draft picks yeah. here. And as I said, when two-thirds of your draft class or of your first-round picks from a draft class don't work out, you can't afford that. That can't happen. Well, and, and the, the narrative no, no. around Rick Spielman has been, you know, look at how aggressive he's been trading back into the first round. And, and certainly some of those guys have produced for a time. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater obviously has the injuries, and – and Anthony Barr has had injuries at times, and, and you kind of see these guys have windows for a while, but when you get to a point where some of these guys aren't working and, and we haven't seen Trey Waynes really make that jump and we've seen almost nothing from Laquan Treadwell, it does start to add up. And I, I think that is certainly a valid point and certainly something worth examining probably more as we get into the offseason. It looks like we are possibly heading that way a lot quicker 
than we thought we were going to be a couple of months ago. The Vikings, of course, are 7-7. Seven and seven. They play in Green Bay on Saturday. We will be back with another edition of the Purple Podcast in the middle of the week. We will once again have to alter our guess the crappy quarterbacks game because there haven't really been a lot of quarterbacks to guess in recent vintage with the Packers. Matthew and I will preview Saturday's Christmas Eve matchup at Lambeau Field, and we will see what this week holds in a Viking season that, as many of them have, has turned once again into a soap opera. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back with the next edition of As the Vikings Turn on Wednesday.